0: Now, also available on Hubble. Hi fam, it's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This
1: is Dylan Friend. He
0: gives you a back rub. This is, you know, you're going well, Brian. Ah, oh, special. Get comfortable
1: and uncomfortable. You just keep showing up and find a way.
0: Cam was so nervous he couldn't swallow water.
1: Cam him a sheet of paper with six names and said, she we've got to cut these six blokes." Ow! Shut up! I've just been barbed by stingray, mate.
0: I'm just yelling in he hockey. my life! saved my life! You saved, my life. You saved, my life. You saved my life! Thank you! Thank you! I spent the last, I think it was a couple of weeks in jail. The deepest, darkest moments often bring about our biggest highs. Mum, would how are you, my friend? Very good. Welcome Thanks for having podcast, me. Welcome to the podcast, bro. Yeah, it's it's nice. I like the moody lighting you got going <laughs> on. Um, mate, this is sort of funny. It's good to see you in, in real life. Like, you know how weird it is when you're old and you sort of make, like, internet friends? It's like back to, like, MSN days, but yeah. it's just Instagram now.
1: I get that from my partner all the time. She's like, how do you know this person? I'm like, I've actually never met them. <laughs> like, but I feel like they're my mate because, like... We chat on, online, but it's very strange, yeah. It is. And um, you come down from Dalesford today. What's yep. it like living in Dalesford,
0: man? I love it. I used to go up there. Well, I still do, but like every year we try and do like one trip with um with my missus. She loves it. And I must say, like my favourite thing, I did this thing the last week where I went and like wrote down like my favourite things. One's the beach. One's spending time with my family. And the other is open, like is fireplaces. And the, the where I fell in love with, like, fireplaces was in Dalesford. Because oh, yeah. it's like the mecca of having a fire in Dalesford is, mm. like, the goat.
1: Yeah, it's pretty pretty nice. So that's yeah. why I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of brings together two of my favorite things, which is um, being alone but also having a really strong social group that – of friends that you can hang out with when you need to so
0: yeah man welcome to the pod it's so good to get you in um i've loved a lot of your work and respected a lot of it for a long time and i must say i don't want to discredit any of the other guests that we've had on the show at all but the amount of shit that i want to talk to you about today is just um incredible because you've had such an unbelievable story and it's still going now which i'm really excited about tell us a little bit about yourself for someone who might not have heard of your work
1: before how would you how do you describe what you do well these days uh, i guess i would be categorized as an investigative reporter at the ABC, um, which is my current role with um, Four Corners, which is a, you know long form documentary program that seeks to hold power to account, is the is the kind of brief or you know expose the kind of underpinnings and machinations of what's happening in Australian culture. And I'm very proud to 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 be a reporter on that program.
0: I've heard a lot about um, obviously Four Corners. i watched that. Mm -hmm. religiously in a lot of your work too. Growing up for you, what was that like to get to your story where you are now? Would you mind going back to the beginning and talking about the
1: way you sort of grew up? Yeah, well, I grew up, uh, from my perspective, how I would define it is like post 9-11. So, you know, 9-11 happened when I was in grade six and, you know, I've got – my background is Afghan. So I went from being this kid with a very kind of exotic and obscure – background that nobody knew. Like in I mean, I went to a school in southeast Melbourne with, you know, they were all Anglo kids. No one knew what the fuck Afghanistan was, you know. <laughs> um and then all of a sudden 9 uh, 9-11 happened, two thousand and one and suddenly the whole world knew what Afghanistan was and um suddenly they all had an image of who Afghans were and mm. what they represented and um what their ideas were. And we were all born and raised here. But um It was a a tricky launching pad to go from that into your first year of high school where, you know, there was a, it's just like a, for obvious reasons, you know, there was all this rhetoric around terrorism and stuff and people were afraid, rightly so, of these bearded people in caves who wanted to bomb the West and they might have been right. Um, That created a tricky terrain, but it was also coupled by the kind of social pitfalls that happen in suburbia, which is, pretty common across the border in the outer suburbs of any state in this country Mm. so you know there was drugs there was unemployment there were public schooling systems so a lot of people were just very uninspired i think um Mm. to to take their education seriously and i was one of them um and the guys I was hanging around with, that's how we were. You know, we didn't want to read about Pythagoras. Um, we didn't want to, give you usually know. a bit of PTSD to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we didn't. Like, we wanted to get fucked up and, you know, just hang out and burn time and run amok and, you know, get on the train lines and just do that. Why? Why we chose to do that, I don't know. But that's just what everyone in our area wanted to do mm. like and so that that leads you into getting involved in i don't even know if you call it gangs but it was groups of your group of your group of boys and you're into you're running around and you're punching on with people from different areas and then you know you do a meeting up with people in parks and punching on with them there and you know like People getting stabbed, suddenly your mates are going to juvie and Mm -hmm. you're kind of like, this is sick, you know, you're kind of, you know, propelled by and inspired by hip hop and you think that that messaging kind of works for you because the stuff that they're describing about the fractures in their societies are the same fractures that you're privy to in your society, you know, where the guys driving the Mercs and the Lambos are all drug dealers, they're not lawyers and doctors, They're, you know, and suddenly that's what you want to do, so... Yeah, I think that, that just leads to more and more crime or more and more addiction and, and shit like that. But my dad actually pulled me out of that school. I, I was put into a, a, a good school. Um, and I, I distanced myself from that environment for a little while and got into art school at the University of Melbourne. I, I did really well there and read a lot a lot more books. But then once that degree is over, you have to get paid. Like You have to get a job. And so... Um, I struggled finding work in in the field and so I went back to the area and all of my friends who were from the past like they were all continued down that path and became drug dealers and stuff and were involved in crime and I was hanging around with them because I went back to the area so you know one two three and suddenly you're partying and you're you're on the gear and then you're making money for the gear and it's just a slippery slope but it's like it's not even like even when I'm I'm speaking all this stuff out loud like it sounds kind of shocking it's not shocking to, to anyone that's from that area yeah. like every everyone's everyone's just Doing what they had to do to survive, you know, and so, and it might not even be to survive. It might not even be that dramatic. It might just be that this is the easiest way to survive mm. in those communities, you know. And so, the only job I can get is, you know, forklift or working in a factory, and I get eight hundred bucks a week. Or I can do a drive from A to B three times, and I'm gonna make fifteen hundred dollars in a day. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. so that's that's the kind of whirlwind of of how it all happens, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I'm not excusing it either. Like, I just thought if I was committed to to maybe pursuing a career, maybe I would have got one. But yeah, I didn't. I, I started getting involved in crime, and yeah, with with all of my friends and all the people around me, and we we were we just kept going. Eventually, we got introduced to people, and got involved in outlaw motorcycle clubs, and started committing more serious crimes or getting involved in more serious crimes and it is what it is, man.
0: What do you, is there an answer for that, do you think, like in terms of we're talking before, like we – when I was playing footy, I used to do a bit of work with the Bridge Project, which is, is to play for Carlton, go across the road to um, Parkville and mm. hang out with the, the oh, guys. Mad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and used to hang out with the guys. And Look, I'm not trying to pretend that I had anywhere – Near of it, like a similar story at all, but a lot of people from where I was from too, like any anywhere. That's what go, I mean. It's, it's very like quick it's to not, go any different way.
1: It's not dramatic, like no. if you 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 said you were from Ballarat.
0: Mm. Oh, I grew, I grew up in Fitzroy. Oh, you grew up in Fitzroy. Yeah, I grew up in Fitzroy, <laughs> which you know wasn't the cool sort of place it oh, is now.
1: Fitzroy was rough. <laughs> it was, rough as guts as well. I mean, it still that. is in certain areas. Yeah. like it's still like every area is rough. Like all this shit exists. It just depends. Um, from your perspective and your silo, that in the, yep. the kind of environment or your your kind of class or stat, status or yep. whatever, it just depends on how privy you are to to what's actually going on and from from what place. But for us, it was like that's not it's not dramatic. Like no. heaps of junkies, when you heaps of drug dealers, we could get you stuff in like two seconds. You know, like we knew people with guns. Like we knew we knew who had a shotgun. Like we knew like. It was. It was just not like it was kind of normal. Like I'm not saying that it's good that it's like that, but it's just a reality. And it's like when you go overseas, the stuff that happens here is like nothing yeah. in comparison to what's happening overseas. Like that, the degree of crime and violence and stuff. It's like it's very normal. Like, but you know, I think because we're so safe, it sounds a lot more dramatic than than it is. Well, I think also possibly. like
0: to be completely honest, like the work that you do now. Um, and the journalism you do, I, I honestly feel that like you're one of a kind with the stuff that you can actually get insight to, and you're probably one of the only people that can actually show that this stuff is happening in Australia. Because I think I don't think people realise that there is things that are actually going on. We do look to the you know the external world sometimes. And go, mm. Oh God, that doesn't happen here, but it really does.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Everything, everything, everything that happens around the world mm. like happens here, but just to, on a different scale. Like yeah. I'm, you know, there's not as much murder and stuff as the United States, or you know. Uh, drug dealing and stuff yep. is perhaps in, in Europe and parts of Southeast Asia, but Australia is like a prized commodity in the in the world of organized crime because we fetch such high prices for our um, narcotics. So there's a lot of serious organized crime that's kind of at play when it comes to Australia. Yeah, And as you can tell, like in the last month or so, there's been, what, five shootings in New South Wales? Mm. Like, you know, things are escalating, but I'm not – I'm not saying like that like we should all start being alarmed like but this shit has it happens. it happens and it's been happening for a long time like yeah it just depends on on how how privy you are to it and yeah. whether you want to be privy to it because unfortunately like people like me I put myself in a situation where I was privy to it and I, I like being privy to it and I had to in order to you know. It, it suited me to be mm. to be deeper involved because of what I was involved in at the time.
0: Back to th- that point as well that we're making before around growing up, you can go, e- any area can go either way. And I think we had an episode um, last year with Saute Sapolu, who is a reformed prisoner from and works with the BRID project. So we heard his story as well, which just shows that length of like, he came from a you know normal family from and either way just could have gone either way and then you spiral once you're in this sort of like trap it can go it can really escalate for you Mm. which was um which is really hectic but what was the changing point for you from there to now it
1: was just escalating so the deeper you get you know the more it's it's kind of like this interesting um thing like when you first get involved in that lifestyle like when you're young you're punching on with people people getting stabbed you're getting there's like a lot of Street violence, and violence that you can kind of deal with. But then the deeper in the weeds you get, the less it becomes about kind of direct interpersonal violence and the more it becomes about calculated kind of almost like political plays for violence. And so the threat becomes um, murkier and you don't necessarily or you won't necessarily see where it's going to come from and especially if you hold rankings in 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 a certain crew or if you're if you're deeply involved with someone or who's doing something that's quite quite heavy and he's telling people that you're vouching for him and then if you're associated with these guys then that means that there's a level of protection that you're offering to someone and then so If they want to get, if they want to rip him or get him, their plot is, oh, maybe we'll get, we'll get these guys out the way first. And they might not even see it coming. Like, so, because this is all happening in the blind. Like, this is all happening in the dark. It's all happening in the, you know, it's the blind leading the blind. And people, and it's all, a lot of it, when it gets to kind of serious organized crime, a lot of it is gossip, suspicion, paranoia, and you know, people making decisions based on not even half truths, but rumors, and these are highly intelligent, calculated, and extremely dangerous people who, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't want drama. And so, their way of protecting themselves is to eliminate the threat and eliminate the drama. And so, people can get swept up in all sorts of in all sorts of stuff, mainly like shootings. And that was very normal. Like, I buried a lot of a lot of people that I knew, like. Mm-hmm they got murdered like so it's not like uh you hear this all the time like in movies and stuff like well it's not a game you know but it really is un- unless you're like in the room with the dude's parents like you know and they're trying to organize his funeral and like raise money because no one's throwing in like you know that's when you realize like it's okay you know or the mom's crying saying i want my son back like and you're sitting there and shitting there like he was your mate, like he was with you every day. Or you know, suddenly, like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta wear that, man. So, but, but people, the sad, the sad reality is like you don't see that side to it unless you live through it. Yeah. And as much as you tell people, like, like, you don't want to be one of those washed up old cunts that are like trying to tell young people, like, well, oh, don't do this, man. Like, it's gonna, it's gonna end badly for you, you're gonna end up dead or in jail. Like, Unfortunately, in that world, like they just got to learn it for themselves. That's that's what I've come to understand. Yeah. Is um, but but I guess what what fuels my journalism is this um, trying to kind of deconstruct. Well, why does what is underpinning all of these uh, decisions, and why is this behaviour considered normalised or okay for for people that? are from those environments, like what propels it, what contributes to it, and what what motivates it. KO's got you
0: covered for this footy season with every game of every round, live and ad break free during play. both Eastern and Western conferences live with ESPN on KO. There's absolutely plenty of room for everyone. So get on board with KO. Now also available on Hubble. So reporting on a world that you used to know, does that is that hard because of the maybe connections or people that you've been you are sort of privy to, to knowing? Or do you think it holds you hold you in like better stead because obviously they, they might trust more of you of what you you've done.
1: I'm pretty calculated in the way that people that were, were in my immediate kind of, in my past and in my immediate circle, I don't really, um, don't really get them involved in of the course. stories that I yeah. tell. Yeah. Um, it's always people that I've known kind of on the periphery and who want to talk. A lot of people don't want to talk. It doesn't matter if it's me because it's me that they're suddenly going to put their hand up and it's a big burden for me to ask someone to talk. Like it's has to come from them because you know it's dangerous they're exposing themselves like like it's i can't just i can't just get people to talk purely to suit to benefit me in telling the story uh it has to be a mutual thing and i have to convince them that you know this this is why i want to tell this story this is why i think it's important what do you think do you think it's worth us doing something do you know someone that might be able to and because they know me, of course, it plays a part. Because they know I'm going to attack it, attack it from the right angle, yeah. like attack it from an not not a sympathetic angle, but I'm going to be looking at the objective truth from from their perspective or trying to trying to figure out the truth from their perspective. And that's a lot of the drama I had with with crime reporting and crime reporters is that
0: one perspective.
1: It's there's only ever one perspective and one view, and that's the media statement and the press release that from the from the police. Like they don't they don't make calls they don't do anything they've got a few cop contacts that feed them these press releases and some information they might have one quote unquote underworld source that no one ever knows mm. that either verifies the police claim or you know puts adds a, adds a bit of color that takes the story nowhere but um really we're only we've only ever got one side of the crime story and that's that's the view from the authority and the police and history tells us that, you know, that that perspective isn't always the truth. Um, there's, there's problems in only hearing one side to the story and even if it is the police, like, you know, the police have got it wrong, look at countless things, you know, whether we go from indigenous deaths in custody to the gobbo stuff that happened where they were running a lawyer as a human source, like yeah. they, they do all sorts of things. But, but, fundamental. But them, like I'm not I'm not saying that all cops are bad, you know. There's cops that are really on the right side of, you know, the law and and I believe in democracy and believe in the press and, and their role as a as a kind of check on 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 what they do as well. But yeah, by and large the problem is that the reporters and it's not their fault either, because a lot of these guys, the reporters, have come from different social backgrounds. They come from different pockets of urban, and you know, the the Koreans kind of don't want to. They don't trust people that don't look like them, or at least don't sound like them, or or don't come from the places they come from, because they feel they've been judged. The criminal archetype is kind of being judged from history, from from the point of. It's very existence, you know, and so for them to assume that this journal that I'm talking to is suddenly going to reframe the narrative to suit, you know, my perspective, they're smarter than that. They're not idiots. The guys that commit crimes, they're not, they're not as foolish as we think, so... They're, they're highly suspicious and know how they're going to be played in the media and how they're perceived by the public, and that the public won't will inherently not believe their narrative because they're criminals. Mm. So,
0: well, we we're talking about before as well, and we know the, the rise of even like you know true crime in in general of how. Clickbaity that is because it's such a, a world that people don't get to see too often. So to be able to tell two sides of you know, like I say there's three sides of story. There's one side, the other, and the truth somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Before we get into some of your uh, proudest moments in in your um, in your career and stories that you've been surprised or loved to do, we've had this little beautiful bottle of um, <laughs> wine sitting here as well. Talk us through this. What have we got? Right, so We're airing the hell out of it.
1: Josh Josh, <laughs> Josh Cooper's um block. It's from uh, it's a block of vines from Bendigo planted in the nineteen seventies. Last night actually he wow. won uh, Best New Winery of the Year. That's unbelievable. Yeah. In at, at, Is well, that in Cotton? He owns a he, he owns a number of sites. Yeah. Yes. He's he's um, he works with his parents at their um winery it's called Cobor ridge it's quite a prestigious um victorian um and this is your other passion and love vineyard. Food yes this is my this is my you know my vice cheers brother that is genuinely good it's very fine it's very light victorian yeah claret beautiful
0: can you get it's this quite ethereal yes of course oh, you can
1: yeah yeah Look, okay. from josh cooper josh cooper what, he's he's in what website?
0: Website? yeah yeah
1: Done. we can send you some. it's going to sell out but yeah.
0: moments in your career
1: i think i think there's been so many man. like um i'm really proud of all of all of my stories like i'm not just saying that just because yeah. like they're not like i, I don't I, I don't have a sense of ownership over my stories because they're such massive collaborations yeah. like um particularly like even when i was at Background briefing making these podcast like long form audio investigations you know the people that trust you with their stories—they're telling you their stories. Yeah. You're just kind of facilitating it and piecing it together in a way that's in a way that you can kind of easily communicate perspective and and the truth to to the public. But by and large, it's their story. Um, and so there's many stories that, that I've I've mm-hmm. been really proud of. but I think the, the, the reason uh, I'm so proud of these stories is because not not just because of what we were talking about earlier, but because um, I think that the, the problem with a lot of crime reporting is that it begins at the moment of the crime and then um, the subject or the the offender or the alleged offender um, we, we, we traditionally have tried to read, That person's entire life through the lens of that crime Mm. so like that crime suddenly becomes the trigger to understanding everything about and every decision this person's ever made which is so bizarre if you think about it
0: one moment yeah Mm.
1: that that like your whole life will retrospectively be colored and overshadowed by this thing that you 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 decide to do and sometimes that decision isn't as premeditated as we think, um, so a lot of a lot of these stories are really digging into how these people navigated early childhood, the adolescence, and um, kind of trying to do the opposite. Everything interrogate everything that might have happened to them until that moment, and then as a way of kind of illustrating why they might have done that. And yeah, there's there's several stories that that kind of stick with you, but what the the big one would be um, a program I did for for Audible called No Gangsters in Paradise. It was mm. kind of the first the first kind of crime war, uh, family crime war in Western Sydney between two um, Lebanese crime families, the Razak and the Darwishes in the mm. um, 2000s. And that kind of really played into a lot of the politics of um, post 9-11 and how it was inflaming that dispute. and using that dispute as a, as kind of leverage to score political points for a stance that's kind of tough on crime. Um, so yeah, I was pretty happy with that. And we interviewed one of the guys who was involved in that conflict, um, while he was in prison, he got, he got charged when he was like 20 years old and he received, I think it was triple life. So, um, and in New South Wales, life means life. It's, Never to be released, no chance of parole, no matter what you do. Jesus. So, yeah, at the age of twenty, to be told you're never getting out. This is your life. Yeah, he, t- he tells a really grim story where, um, back in those days, in the in the in on the cells of each prisoner, uh, they would have like the number of how many years they're doing on uh, on the front of their cells. And he said when. He was twenty, like the, one of the youngest guys in that unit. Walking up to his cell, and his his cell was the only one with like no numbers on it. Fuck. It's,
0: it's so fucking. It gives me genuine like goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, about that. yeah,
1: yeah. Just and then when you're twenty, like, what were you doing when you were twenty?
0: Man, fuck.
1: I wasn't doing anything I was that. I, yeah. <laughs> like oh, I, was. I wasn't doing shit that I want. I would want to be held accountable for for the rest of my life. Like, do you know what I mean? It's pretty, pretty harsh. It is. And like, even
0: just to that, to that point of when I was talking before about the working with the youth justice center there in Parkville, like sometimes what you, I think you're alluding to before and forgive me if it's not, but I was thinking the whole part about like, when you get to know these kids that have been through this, and this is not all cases, but some people that have got to this stage have never had a fucking chance to even do anything else. No, Like you're born into something that you, you can't change really.
1: Yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, lot of them. Mm. Broken homes, like, you can kind of, you can read the play yeah. as soon as you you hear their story. I mean, for me, is that, this is one of the most haunting things about quote-unquote crime reporting is the more of these guys who are at the highest levels of offending, like people who've been done for murders and so on, involving gangs, multiple murders and stuff, they all have the same stories, you know, they've all... I come from highly dysfunctional homes. Yeah, no opportunities from you know. Parents were addicts. Like you know, yep. really, really didn't have didn't have much of a go from the get go. Yep. And had no one that, that believed in them either. Yep. And you know, experienced a lot of shame, a lot of abuse. You know, it all it all kind of can be traced back to incidents from childhood and that's early right. childhood and that, that kind of set set these guys on a path that was never going to end well, unfortunately.
0: yeah, 100%. And that's why, again, I don't want to harp too much, but the, yeah, the, the work that the Bridge Project do in terms of like going in and doing programs like that is genuinely incredible. They make a massive, massive impact. Um, that's for sure. Some of the stuff that we were sort of talking about while we're being sort of MSN online friends mm-hmm. was the Yakuza, we're talking about a guy with a machine gun in
1: Adelaide <laughs> Yeah, talking yeah. about
0: the Kurdish mafia. Yeah, yeah. Can you elaborate on some of these these stories?
1: Yeah. I got to spend time with um, the Yakuza in, um, in Tokyo with, like, one of the biggest families of the Yakuza, the Yamaguchi Gumi. Wow. And also um, one of the other families. I've forgotten the name. Um, this was years ago when I was at Vice. We made a documentary on... Um, the kind of dwindling membership numbers of the Yakuza and trying to figure out what was happening and why young people weren't as interested in joining one of the kind of legacy organized crime groups um, that really controlled large parts of um, Japan. Like they had Mm -hmm. people on the boards of the biggest corporations in Japan. They were regularly extorting some of the highest level businessmen, they had um, serious power. I think they're still like one of the richest organized crime outfits in the world, like wow. in the top three at least. Um, very highly sophisticated, ruthless, and um, extremely intelligent at basically penetrating every part of society and, you know, corporate Japan. That was really interesting. Um, Yeah, did spend, spent a bunch of time with those guys and, and spent a bunch of time with guys that were kind of further out that were just a bit like... I wouldn't say low level, but there were Yakuza uh, families that were in the Yamaguchi Gumi but from like small towns, from yep. rural towns. And that was, that was fascinating because you to see all the hallmarks of, um, you know, organized crime and gangs and family structures that really be replicated anywhere in the world. Like these mm. personalities that all have something like, you know, the piece missing from them that they find in these – in this sense of camaraderie and, you know, that's why there's such a kind of parallel between elite military groups and gangs in the way that they kind of view each other and the loyalty that they have to the very thing that brings them together. This.
0: Do you do you think with that is like, it's I've got such a, hopefully this question makes sense, but I've, like, obviously, you know, listened to a lot of your work. I, I listen to crime podcasts in general as well and I feel like you in know, a, in a, And I'd be intrigued if you think this happens in Australia too, but like a lot of, she was saying then with the Yakuza, the Yakuza and like um, I listened to this podcast, The Legend of the Pong Su. Have you heard of that? No. Where, so the Vietnamese, um, there's a Vietnamese ship that came in with like the biggest load of heroin ever and it crashed in lawn. This oh, was I'm like away. a while ago. Yeah, And it, they traced it back to being actually a part of the government as well. Mm. So this connection of like organized crime, with the government, the military, and these bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's like an external thing that happens around the world, but does it happen in Australia too? Do you reckon there's connections to that stuff here?
1: No, I don't think so. There's there's no connection between any of that stuff. It's very hard to even draw connections with that stuff globally. I reckon unless you're in, you know, maybe in parts of Italy, you know, where they have... They have the Kimura and the Dangata and, you know, the Sicilians just have so much power that their politicians are, you know, really at their beck and call. I mm. don't know. I don't know. I'm just yeah. speculating. Um, But, yeah, I think, nah, in Australia there's, there's like that, – that certainly isn't the case where mm. um, organized crime is involved in yeah. or in bed with. Yeah, politicians, but there are. Sort of yeah, around. yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not. yeah, no. But I think there are. He's, he's breathing a breath
0: of fresh air now. He's
1: he's happy. He's been cleared. There are murky kind of areas where the two kind of have to rely on each other, mm. um, and we, and that's historically been the case. So where you've had um, organized crime kind of collaborating with police or um, some sections of the police yep. in order to maintain a sense of peace in in on the streets. Yep. There's a vague, there's a very vague sense of that in that at the highest levels of organised crime, there's definitely people being pulled in front of the Crime Commission and they're definitely talking and there's definitely dialogue happening. This idea that, um, you know, gangsters never talk to police, it's true on the street level. But from from my work,'ve I've found that, uh, that when it, when it reaches a certain ceiling, they're forced to be in constant dialogue because the stakes are so high, and you would be incredibly naive to think that they don't. And actually, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they they are. And so how how murky, how murky is, I mean, they're not working together, but they are kind of in dialogue and they're saying, you know, they're feeding each other information at times. Mm. Um, definitely, definitely there's an exchange of information that suits both parties because, of course, high-level organized crime figures are not going to tell the whole truth. They're going to tell them, give feed off enough information to keep them safe and to and to kind of eliminate their competition. Mm. But um, all, that, all that stuff happens like uh, it's – that's why we've got secret hearings that's why you know these guys get pulled in front of courts and that's why they cut deals like and that's why the police can cut secret deals with people like this this stuff happens. Um, I wouldn't say that the police likes doing it, but I've spoken to interviewed police and they say it, the thing with organized crime is it's incredibly difficult to penetrate like these guys are more disciplined, they're more loyal, and they're, a lot of the times they're actually more organized than the police themselves. Mm. Um, that's why they're, they're kind of constantly in this cycle where they have to be one step ahead. The problem the police force has is they have this huge uh, this huge amount of resources that the government gives them to support them, but that's not enough. Like money and technology is not enough because what you're dealing with is a highly sophisticated, organised, disciplined, and loyal band of people, and that's not what you have in the police. In the police, you have people who are working a job, and um, they're prone to leaks. I mean, if you have high-level organised crime figures who, whose nephew might know, went to, might have gone to school with someone who's now an AFP officer or involved in some branch of New South Wales police or even in the ACIC, and they suddenly are having coffees with that person and offering them huge sums of money. Like, I'm, I'm talking a hypothetical here. Yeah. I don't know anything. No, of course, yeah, of course. Um, if you have a situation where this guy has gone to school with a guy who's now in the ACIC, he meets up, he's probably regularly been meeting up with him. They probably play footy together, whatever. He offers him, say, he'll go, look, we don't want you to be do anything illegal. We don't want that. We don't want cause we we respect you. Like we don't we don't want you to we've been mates for years. But we've got a hundred grand, fifty grand, hundred grand is nothing to these guys. Mm. Nothing. It's peanuts. Say so we'll give you a hundred grand. We don't want you to do anything illegal. We don't want you to do anything for us. Just tell us when warrants are signed on these people because you're across the warrants anyway. That is enough of a tip for them that that is a massive leak in, in the in the entire kind of apparatus. and, and that's just like a, a tiny example like all they need is you know someone who's across warrants or someone who's in the dog squad or someone it can be some proofy person that's involved in investigations mm. that knows that something's about to happen or we're about to be involved in something to present an opportunity for organized crime figures. And there's so many of them and they're on ordinary, they're on good money, they could be on heaps of money but it's still gonna be 150 grand a year or however much unless they're super senior, you know. And suddenly you have a guy across, across, sitting across from them with a duffel bag of $100,000 and offering it to them every time they give them one of those warrants and telling them, promising them that there's something in it for, Their kids and their kids' kids, they can pay off their mortgage, whatever. It's very easy for them to, you know, to find leaks. It's it's very easy, but with organised crime figures, you put some of these guys, you put as much money as you want in front of them, and they will not, they will not budge. They're not gonna, they're not gonna fucking fold. Yeah, they they just not. Um, And and even when I say highest levels, some some of them are in dialogue with police. That doesn't mean that they're rats or that they're snitches. They're just giving the police the information they want the police to have. Yeah. They'd never give that information about the people they care about. That's not the way it works. Like they're not, they're not going to give up their mates. They're just giving up, giving the police enough to to fuck them off and get them off the back, whilst feel whilst protecting their own because that that's how they generate loyalty and respect.
0: It's like a movie, man. Honestly. It's absolutely incredible. Like you know, you just don't think that this stuff really happens, which is which is crazy. What can are you able to talk a little bit about
1: the the, the project you're working on at the moment? So the project I'm working on, at the, I can tell you in very um, broad strokes. Yeah, is basically about human sources who are they can be one of two things. They're deployed by uh, the AFP or any any police police force to. Infiltrate or provide information about organised crime. So they can be undercover officers um, who are sworn officers um, who basically pretend to be to, bef- to befriend and rise the ranks of organised crime until they've hit their target and extracting information about methodology and operations and how they how they basically run. Or they can be people who have already. Um, been part of these organizations and are part of these organizations Mm -hmm. who decide to inform um, and speak out. So yeah, this story is kind of about those people because um, they've been involved in some of the biggest busts and they really are on on the front lines of tackling this problem of organized crime, but they're completely forgotten. No one knows about them, no one cares about them. And they do a lot of the heavy lifting Mm. and um, they pay the, the biggest price, you know, because they, they could lose their lives. If these guys find out their families could lose their lives or um, they have to be in witness protection the rest of their life. And that's not a fun thing to do. Like it's it's you're, you're safe, you're alive, but you have no quality of life. Right? Yeah, mm. no quality of life at all. And, and nor does your family. So your family has to be put in witness protection with you and suddenly they're extracted from the world that they were in with all their fa- friends, their families, and they have to essentially disappear overnight um, and start new lives, new friends, and not tell anyone what they do. And they can't even really be normal members of the public in the places that they've been displaced to. So it's, just, it's, it's really – it's not they, – they, they're massive sacrifices for, for very little – reward outside of a few medals that you can't show any of the people who care about you so on
0: that because they are so like unknown of who this Mm. person could be like will this be through four corners
1: that you're doing it Mm -hmm. so will you be speaking to them
0: yeah wow so like that's
1: yeah and we'll be hearing from them for the first time um no faces obviously or no. no so there's there's laws that prevent you from showing yeah, um, the faces of anyone who's provided information in in that way, and Fire. I mean they're pretty they're pretty wild. Like in these controlled operations, these undercover officers, although they're cops, um, are basically permitted to commit most acts of any any act of of, of violence. Or they can take as much drugs as they want. They can party because they have to. Wow. Be able to let these people believe. Like there's all these conspiracies that oh, cops can't take drugs. Yes, they fucking can. Yeah, they can. They can do whatever, whatever it takes. Carry guns, move, move drugs. They can do whatever as long as it's to hit that target and to 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 to, to hit that, uh, achieve that that end. Man. Yeah. yeah. So it becomes a really. An interesting question of like, do, does does do the ends justify the means? Like, um, so, but yeah, it's pretty pretty fascinating hearing from these guys, and the, the the kind of psychology of it all is really interesting too, because these guys genuinely become friends with some of these people. In the moral compass, of yeah, life, yeah, they earn like- their trust. They become part of their families. They go on holidays with them. They they've known these guys for some of them like five, six, seven years. I can't believe it by the time they get told. Like it's just <laughs> – <laughs> they know their deepest and darkest secrets. They're their best mates, you know. But it was a cop the whole time. And this has happened time and time again. And we just don't know
0: about it. Yeah. That is hectic. Yeah. I'm so – when does this debut to – It'll be um, end of August. End so, of August. Yeah. I'm excited, man. That'll, that'll be incredible. Yeah. Do you ever feel like – when you when you're releasing this stuff. Is there any is there any part of yourself that is like worried of retribution or anything like that?
1: I guess I guess I I don't I mean perhaps it's like naivety or yep. you know, maybe I don't have a, a good sense of risk or something, but um I think uh I think as long as you like
0: Doing it honest, the
1: right way, yeah. Like yeah. you're honest to the person telling you the story about what the is, how the story is going to be told, um, and you're honest to yourself. And like, there's been fuck ups. Like, trust me, there has. Like, uh, I've, I've made mistakes. Like, I've, I've, I've done things and helped people, um, which in retrospect, I should have, I should have never fucking done. You know, because I didn't have the, um, I didn't have the um, agency or um, Authority to make the calls about how the story is going to be told, like that's that happens. Like, but you have to learn. Like, there's only one way to learn. Mm. And like, I've pissed people off too. But you know, I get on the call, I get on the phone to them and try and try and have a conversation with them and tell them how, like, because I can honestly say this is this is this is what I wanted to do. This Mm. is how I wanted to achieve it. This is what I did in making that happen. Most of the time, it's gone, it's gone my way. Like, and it's happened. But sometimes. There's been times where, unfortunately, it hasn't, you know, and it's mm. pissed people off, and you know, I, I think a way of mitigating the, the huge risks is like saying, "I'll meet up with you," like yeah. I'll, I'll call you. Let's talk. Let's talk about this because I didn't. I do not want you to be, you know, feel some kind of way about it. But, but the other thing is like the complicated thing about journalism is that you're you're essentially somebody's telling you their story, and you're reflecting that story to the public and sometimes the the version that you have of yourself is not consistent with the reality of how people perceive you and that's why there's this like saying where it's like your friends know you better than you know yourself mm. because the way that you see yourself is different to actually fucked up yeah. fucked up by your own weird narcissism or whatever yeah. um and so yeah i think i think I think that's that's always been the trickiest part. And they're like, like where you present the story to people and they're suddenly like, Well, man, that's not even like me. Like that doesn't even sound like me. and you're like, bro, they said they're that. your words, yeah. bro. Like they're bro, they're, like you can hear yourself. It's the fucking <laughs> you saying that. And he's like, Yeah, but I didn't I didn't mean it like that. And I'm like, Well, that's just how it looks, you mean? Like mm. that's the the way that you said it, that's that's what the meaning looks like like how can i fucking fix that for you um, so it, it's it's pretty it's pretty complicated like mir- putting a mirror up in front of people to, to kind of i mean some some people find it very helpful like there's other people where where you, do, where you tell their story and they suddenly um, reach these kinds of philosophical, they resolve these like psychological and philosophical kind of problems that they had Um, It's kind of interesting too. Man,
0: so incredible. I would literally like love to um, anytime there's something coming out that you've got. I would love to get you into just prom- like man, not that, that you need to do that, like because people love your fucking work, but just more of a selfishness of just being able to sit with you and pick yeah, your brain. Man. Like I'm, I'm purely, I'm not just saying this, but I'm genuinely in awe of what you do. Like I love your Thank work you, so much. Like yeah, it, man, is, just, it is, it is incredible. We just
1: want people to hear these. Well, no, it's these not stories. Just, so like
0: I, I, don't know if this is the, the Josh Cooper talking or not, but like <laughs> I, I've red wine does that it, too. It, right? it, we're getting there. <laughs> I think we are. I see. On a very different scale, what you do and what I try to do are very similar. Mm. You just do it in a total different world that I don't know. Our our purpose is like to un show a different side of an athlete, whereas yours is to show a different side of a human that's, that's people a don't cr- get to see. So, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like speaking, it's,
1: it's a like someone who's been suspected of something or a criminal or like well,
0: so it's a, it's to humanize people. I yeah, suppose, yeah, yeah. In some way, and I think like. I just, yeah, I love your work. I love what you do. Um, I'd love to just, yeah, continue to grow this thing out because I think that everyone listening today is going to be so fascinated. I can't yeah, wait I to so. see. I hope
1: they, yeah, it would mean a lot to us if they watch the programs. So. Maybe they will. Yeah. yeah.
0: So how, because you were saying before, five things, uh, five um uh, investigations a year around
1: that mark. So I've, I've only just got the... A permanent position role at the- Congratulations, Thanks, bro. mate. It's about fucking time. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, very, very stoked. Um, But yeah- So I, this I,
0: first one coming out um, so in the next couple of weeks, that'll be your first piece yeah. f- as a full-timer? As like, a full-timer, yeah. yeah but
1: I don't see it like that. They'll yeah. see the
0: cocaine story as the first. Um, Which was incredible. Yeah. Where can people piece. catch up on this? Is it on ABC iview?
1: Yeah, they can watch the- It's on YouTube as well. So. I've seen it on YouTube. Yeah, times. yeah. Most people watch it on yeah. YouTube. yeah bless them
0: it's a fucking good show I um, yeah I really appreciate it man today has been yeah genuinely incredible just to like get insight and um, and have a chat about it all but I reckon whenever you have something coming, yeah, we're man, I'd here. love we'll to. I'd appreciate that. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll go through it before it comes out. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. That's awesome, bro. Thank you so much. And, we'll, we'll yeah, and thank you for bringing in the uh, the Josh Cooper. The Josh man. man. Maybe Cooper I'll bring
1: man. a different one every time I, I come. We, we have can make to. it a bit of a segment, we'll huh? Make it a segment.
0: I'm <laughs> <laughs> with well, Josh and Dill, and we just <laughs> we drink and we talk.
1: <laughs> we can bring Josh on here we'll too. We'll bring Josh in <laughs> here and bring
0: them all in. One's here. But um, mate, incredible stuff. Again, I'm yeah, incredibly blessed to have you on the show. On your Something totally different to what we do, but it's <laughs> something super important. I can't wait to be Man, they will love it yeah thank you bro on you brother thanks for listening to another Producey podcast if you enjoyed the show that'd be a massive help if you could like follow rate subscribe tap the bell leave a review or even share with one of your friends or you could do them all if you want to get in touch to share feedback suggest a guest or advertise with one of our podcasts then email hello at com. thanks for tuning in Ilyxx. Heyo's got you covered for this footy season with every game of every round, live and ad break free during play. AFL. Here we go. Carlton vs. Melbourne with no ad break during play. That is going to be an absolute banger. Last time these two uh, got together. Well, not the last time. When I was there, I kicked three. Freer vs. Swans live with no ad break during play. Exclusive in Victoria. And the Hawks versus Saints live with no ad break during play. Is going to be an absolute blockbuster. It's a must win for both of these teams. And don't forget the NBA playoffs. Gee whiz, they are going off at the moment. So many big games to mention and they will be absolutely